Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. VJ Govindarajan, or VG, is the Cox Distinguished Professor at Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College and is a faculty partner in the Silicon Valley incubator Mach 49. He is widely regarded as one of the world's leading experts on strategy and innovation. He is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of multiple books. His most recent bestseller is The Three Box Solution. His Harvard Business Review articles, Engineering Reverse Innovations, and Stop the Innovation Wars, won McKinsey Awards for Best Article Published in HBR. His HBR articles, How GE is Disrupting Itself, and the CEO's Role in Business Model Reinvention are HBR all-time top 50 bestsellers. He was named by Thinkers 50 as a top three management thinker in the world and received the Breakthrough Innovation Award in 2011. VG was inducted into Thinkers 50 Management Thinkers Hall of Fame and was given the Distinguished Achievement Award for most contributions to the understanding of innovation in 2019. VG is the only recipient of the Distinguished Achievement Awards in two different categories from Thinkers 50. He works with CEOs and top management teams in over 40% of the Fortune 500 companies where he discusses and challenges and escalates their thinking about strategy. He's been a key Note speaker in Business Week CEO Forum, HSM World Business Forum, TED, and the World Economic Forum at Davos. He received his doctorate from Harvard Business School and was awarded the Robert Brown Prize for the best thesis proposal. In this podcast, he shares three rules that companies should follow today if they want to both protect their core business and build for the future, why it is so critical to erase institutional memory, and he outlines what is is the biggest possibility gap in the world today. His answer, the metaverse, and he explains why. Ladies and gentlemen, VG. VG, thank you so much for being here with us. It's great to have you finally on this podcast. Thank you. I've been a long admirer of your work, and I'm excited to dig in because you've touched on so many topics, but there are two questions that I want to start up with, which I always start all of our podcasts with. The first one is just to get people to know you a little bit personally. It may have nothing to do with your work. If you could complete this sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. I think the most important thing about me is the kind of inspiration that I got from my grandfather as to what I should be seeking in my life. And what my grandfather taught me was, perhaps I can take a minute and put this in context. You know, this is how it happened. I used to stand first in class when I was in school. That wasn't that difficult because there were only 10 kids in my class. And I know the other nine, so I know how to beat them. Then I came to the university and my university had 25,000 students and I didn't know any of them. And I stood first in the university, won the gold medal and I took the gold medal and my transcript to my grandfather. And my grandfather kind of looked at the transcript and said, hmm, in history, you only got 95 out of 100. There is five possible marks you could have gotten. Let's close that possibility gap. 
in English, you only got 90 out of 100. There is another out of the possible. He wasn't trying to intimidate me. He wasn't trying to humiliate me. He wasn't trying to embarrass me. What he was telling me was, VG, never be satisfied in being a gold medalist amongst 25,000 students. That should never be your bar. Your bar should be your true potential. And your true potential is 100 out of 100. And of course, if you achieve that, you're going to win gold medal amongst 25,000 students. That goes without saying. What my grandfather taught me was make competition irrelevant. If you're Procter & Gamble, don't look at Colgate-Palmolive. That leads to mediocrity. The only competition that matters, either for an individual or for a company, is self-competition. And self-competition is about searching what more potential you have that you need to achieve and close that possibility gap. What my grandfather taught me was don't limit your achievements by your expectations. Your expectations put a limit on your accomplishment. So you're leading right to the next canned question. After the second canned question, we'll just have a dialogue. But this is the same question I ask everyone here. What is your definition of strategy? How would you define strategy? I define strategy as achieving true potential. And therefore, there are two important tasks for companies to realize their true potential. One is performance gap in their current businesses. The second is possibility gap in creating future businesses. Only when you close these two gaps do you achieve true potential. And therefore, strategy is about having a plan to close performance gap, which is box one, plus possibility gap, which is box two, box three. Got it. Could you explain to us, for those listeners who aren't familiar with the three-box solution, which, by the way, I've been in many meetings where a chief strategy officer will bring up the three boxes, especially box three is the one that I hear people getting really excited about, stopping doing things. But could you just lay out the three-box solution? The three-box solution is really a simple idea which is I ask companies to take everything that they do and put in three boxes. How many of their activities are in box one, which is manage the present? This is about improving the performance of your organization the way it is constructed today. How many of your activities are in box two? And box two is about selectively forget the past. And how many of your activities are in box three? And box three is create the future. Manage the present, box one. Selectively abandon the past, box two. And create the future, box three. And what I find working with organizations is they may over-focus on box one. Is box one important? Absolutely. But if you want to achieve your true potential, which is what the definition of strategy is, then you just can't only focus on box one. You also have to focus on box two and box three. Another word for box one is competition for the present. That is all about closing performance gap. Another word for box two, box three is competition for the future. That's all about closing possibility gap. That is how you achieve leadership in the year 2030. Strategy is about achieving true potential in the future. Strategy is about achieving true potential by year 2030. And if you want to achieve your true potential by year 2030, then you have two gaps that you have to close. There is the performance gap, then there is the possibility gap. And the interesting thing is, if you want to achieve your true potential in the year 2030, it's not about what you have to do in the year 2030. It's about what you have to do in the year 2022 so that you intersect with the year 2030. How are you allocating resources today? How is your organization focused today across performance gap and possibility gap today so that you can become a leader in the year 2030? If you want a concrete example, think about General Motors. General Motors today, 99% 
of their sales revenue is coming from internal combustion-driven, gasoline-powered automobiles. That is their box one, performance engine. Therefore, they have a performance gap they have to close, which is make their internal combustion-driven, gasoline-powered automobile performance go up even further. But General Motors also has a possibility gap, which is self-driving cars, ride-sharing, electric vehicles, because the future of mobility is going to be very different than the current realities of mobility. General Motors cannot forget the current realities because the 99% of our revenue is coming from the current reality. You have to protect it, nurture it, grow it. But at the same time, you have a possibility gap to close. The main reason why this is so difficult is in the year 2022, I am asking you to close two gaps, performance gap and possibility gap. But the people, the capabilities, the metrics that it takes to close performance gap is fundamentally different than the people, the metrics, the processes it requires to close the possibility gap. Yet you have to close both the gaps today. So if you want to close the possibility gap, General Motors should be acquiring computer scientists, software engineers, experts in artificial intelligence, machine learning. Whereas if you want to close the performance gap, they have to strengthen their mechanical engineering. You have to do them simultaneously. And that is going to create awful lot of conflicts, resource allocation tensions, cannibalization issues, short-term, long-term issues, and even the pay scale will be different. Typically, an artificial intelligence guy will demand a lot more than a mechanical engineering guy. And how do you pay people different salaries, even though one is artificial intelligence guy may be 15 years younger than your mechanical engineering guy asking for more? Because he's not comparing, should I join General Motors or Ford? He's saying, should I join Google or General Motors? And this is why my framework is easy to say, but not easy to do. It is nothing but common sense. But common sense is never common practice because my common sense message is if you want to achieve your true potential in the year 2030, it's not about what you have to do in the year 2030. Future is now. And therefore, you have a conflicting situation that you have to manage. And I also say for companies in general, taking General Motors as an example, if General Motors wants to achieve its true potential by year 2030, that is the next next eight years, their possibility gap in the next eight years is much, much bigger than their performance gap in the next eight years. And therefore, if you're General Motors, you have to look at the size of these two gaps for the next eight years and say, how am I dealing with those two gaps today? And this is the central strategic challenge. So we've had Mike Tushman on this podcast, and he has advocated and popularized this idea of the ambidextrous organization. And his argument and his research is such that to frame it in your language here, the performance and possibility gaps are so different that you actually need separate types of organizations with different cultures and different mindsets and different operating rhythms. What's your view on that? Can an organization have both sides of the equation operating simultaneously in one organization? Do you have to separate them? I would put it this way. I think I have three simple rules. If you follow those three simple rules, you can actually simultaneously excel in possibility gap and performance gap. If you want to excel in performance gap, I say you need what I call dominant logic organization. When you are succeeding in your box one performance engine, there is a dominant logic that develops inside your company. By dominant logic, what I mean is the kind of people you hire, the competitor you focus on, the customer you focus on, the processes you have, 
the performance metric you have. That's what I mean by dominant logic. So General Motors, in their internal combustion-driven gasoline-powered automobiles, their competitors are others who are making internal combustion-driven gasoline-powered automobiles. Their customer is one who's buying those cars. The kind of capabilities they acquire would be mechanical engineering. The processes they have will be Six Sigma. The metrics they have will be short-term financial measures. This is absolutely the right way to manage your box one, the dominant logic. But dominant logic cannot execute box three. Not because dominant logic has bad people. If dominant logic is constructed correctly, it has a severe box two problem, the forgetting problem. In my framework, there is a box two. And box two is the most difficult box of my three boxes for companies. The dominant logic has a severe, severe forgetting problem, not an intellectual forgetting problem because the organizational memory is a muscle memory. I'll give you a metaphor. Imagine there are four monkeys that are sitting at the foot of a coconut tree and one of the hungry monkeys starts to climb that coconut tree. And let's say after it reaches 75% of the distance, suppose it gets an electric shock. The monkey lets out a shout and then comes back. Then it goes up again, it gets an electric shock, comes back again. After a couple of times, the monkey realizes it's very, very bad idea to get that coconut by climbing the tree. And the only business model by which it can get the coconut is to wait for a windy day. And when the wind is strong, coconut will fall down. That is the only business model that can work. Now, one by one, the four monkeys climb the coconut tree, get electric shock, and they decide it's a very bad idea to get the coconut by climbing the tree. So they now wait at the foot of the coconut tree, waiting for a windy day where the coconut will come down. So once they accept that business model, it becomes the dominant logic. Therefore, they write that dominant logic into their organizational structure, into their human resource recruitment policies, into their performance metric. The dominant logic becomes an orthodoxy. That means it has become now a muscle memory. You do not even think about your dominant logic anymore because that's how you always do business. You come to office every day, wait for the coconut to fall down. That is what General Motors internal combustion-driven automobile. They're waiting for the coconut to fall. Now, suppose you move those four monkeys to a new tree which doesn't have the electric shock. So now we are going into self-driving cars and ride sharing and so on and so forth. What happens is those four monkeys are still waiting at the foot of the coconut tree, waiting for the coconut to fall, even though there is no electric shock there. That is the power of dominant logic because it gets into your muscle memory. Now, suppose you remove one of the old monkeys and introduce a new maverick monkey, which hasn't experienced any of these electric shocks, and the new maverick monkey gets hungry, it starts to climb the coconut tree, the other three old monkeys pull it down. It tries to climb again, the old three monkeys pull it down. After three or four times, it gets pulled down. The new maverick monkey realizes it is a very bad idea to climb the coconut. It doesn't know why. And the only business model is to wait for a windy day. Now, the experimenter removes one by one the four old monkeys and introduces four new maverick monkeys. And the four new maverick monkeys now are sitting at the foot of the coconut tree, accepting the old business model. Therefore, the muscle memory of the dominant logic is so strong that their muscle memory says, there is a customer I have to focus on. There are a set of competitors I have to focus on. I have to have an HR policy to recruit these people. These are the processes I should have. 
have. This is the metric I should have. This is the organizational structure I should have. That is in their muscle memory. Therefore, they will never be able to make self-driving cars a possibility. Therefore, I say the first rule is you must create a dedicated team for self-driving cars. And the dedicated team should attract different people, pay them differently, have different processes, etc. Because it's a different business model. It is not just a car. It's now a computer on wheels. It is apps on wheels. It is a new business model. However, the second principle is the dedicated team, which is physically separate from the box one performance engine, the dedicated team has to be connected to the mothership. That is the only way General Motors will be able to outcompete, say, a pure Silicon Valley startup, because a self-driving car is also a car. It is not simply a software. And what General Motors knows is how to make the hardware. It is an important core competency that can benefit the self-driving car. So you have a dedicated team for developing the software for self-driving cars, but the dedicated team has to be connected to the mothership. By the way, that is going to create awful lot of conflicts because you're asking performance engine, which has got the dominant logic, to work with a dedicated team, which has got a very different logic in organizing. Now they have to partner. It will never happen smoothly. Therefore, there are strategies you can deploy to create a partnership between the dedicated team and the Box One performance engine. Today, General Motors, they have in Detroit their performance engine. They have bought this company, Cruise Automation, which is their dedicated team for creating self-driving technology. But then Cruise Automation is connected to the mothership. They're managing the hardware-software partnership. And the third important principle is possibility gap is nothing but bet on the future. Therefore, it's nothing more than a bunch of hypotheses. That's all it is. Possibility gap is a bunch of hypotheses because it's based on weak signals. And therefore, the key is to test the hypothesis. And when you're testing the hypothesis, if the hypothesis is not valid, you have to pivot. You have to spend as little as possible. Therefore, you have to master low-cost experiments to understand whether the hypothesis is valid or not. Once the cost of experimenting is low, cost of learning is low, cost of failure is low. So these are the three important principles. Create a dedicated team, and the dedicated team should be constructed fundamentally differently than the box one performance engine. So that the dedicated team can forget the dominant logic. But the dedicated team now has to be connected to the mothership so that it can borrow strategic assets from the mothership, build a partnership. And then the dedicated team should actually conduct low-cost experiments to test hypotheses. If you can do those things, simple to say, not simple to do, then you can simultaneously close possibility gap and performance gap. So what's the role that box two then plays? Because I misspoke earlier when I said the third box is one that I hear a lot of excitement about, but it's really the second box, which is forgetting, stopping. Explain that to me. Is that where General Motors stops making combustion engines or because that core business model is no longer the future? What role does box two play? Box two is not about stopping the internal combustion and gasoline. Box two is about erasing the organizational memory which is a muscle memory. And to erase the organizational memory, which is erasing the dominant logic memory, is this dedicated team. So that is the way you achieve what is needed in box two. But at the same time, you are asking the dedicated team to work with the performance engine. 
performance engine has different logic. Now, the dedicated team has different logic. They're going to fight like two. Therefore, you have to have strategies. Therefore, box two is very, very difficult. But if you follow these three principles, the chance of success is very high. Yes, got it. I mean, we're reaching towards the top of our time with you, and it would be a shame not to also ask you to talk a little bit about two of my favorite books of yours, The Other Side of Innovation and Beyond the Idea. Could you just orient us to what motivated you to study that and what the key implications are? I have written a series of books, 10 Rules for Strategic Innovation, The Other Side of Innovation, Three Box Solution, How Stella Saved the Form, and Beyond the Idea. They are all based on the three boxes. And they are all focused on how do you execute and close the possibility gap while you are managing the performance gap. But these books obviously build upon each other and develop more ideas. But the core book is the three-box solution, which brings all of these six books together in one place. Beautiful. So you seem to really have your pulse on what enterprises should be concerned with. And given the topics that you pick, my question is, what are corporations focus on now? Or what is a topic that we should be thinking about now? If I have to pick one mega opportunity for all types of companies, it is the metaverse. Metaverse is going to open up a humongous possibility gap. And it is going to fundamentally change corporations, transform them. Even think about future of work. We talk a lot about future of work. In the metaverse, the fundamental difference between Zoom, which is what we have right now, and 3D technologies, Zoom, I just see you, your face. Whereas in 3D, I am present in the same room where you are. And the moment you are present, the experience becomes immersive. The conversations become rich and fruitful. Therefore, future of work, which means there are some people who will be virtual. Some people may be sitting in New York head office building. Now, can you create a metaverse where they are all present? Therefore, you can have bot- observe the body language, talk to each other. This is one example of many, many possibilities. Therefore, if I were to say, what is the biggest possibility gap for companies? I would say it is 3D technologies. And that's why I said earlier, I try to do it, see whether it has possibility for education. And I'm coming to the conclusion, the answer is absolutely yes. Therefore, that's what I would say is a big possibility gap. Love it. I love it. You've just opened up a whole nother universe to explore. And unfortunately, we've reached the time that we have with you. So how can people continue learning from you and connect with you and follow you? What's the best way for them to do that? Certainly, my book, Three Box Solution, is a wonderful resource to understand more about my framework, concepts, thinking, etc. But I also keep it current by writing a weekly column on my LinkedIn page on Freebox Solution. I write every week a column on Freebox Solution and I have a special status on LinkedIn, an influencer status. That means I don't accept people. People can just follow me. If they're interested in following my work on innovation, Freebox Solution, they can just press the button follow. They follow. And they can even post questions to me. And I can use that to write a weekly column on three box solution a question that they're wrestling with that will trigger me what kinds of issues the chief strategy officers and senior c-suite executives are thinking about when they think about three box solution i will learn from that as well and use it to write future columns oh that's great well i'm a follower on linkedin with you and a longtime follower of your work i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us for the work you do and for taking some time to share that with us vg it's great to have you here thank you so much for having me 
Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers. Thinkers.